We're going to be over in Matthew chapter 21 today, but before we get there, we'll look at a few verses from last time. There was a story of a New York family who decided to leave the crowded city and head for the wide open spaces. So they bought a ranch out west. They intended to raise some cattle there. About a month later, some friends visited them and they asked if they had picked out a name for the place. And they said, well, the man, the, the husband, he said, I wanted, I wanted to name it Bar J. And my wife wanted to call it Susie Q. But one of my sons liked the, the name Flying W. And the other preferred Lazy Y. So in the end, we compromised and called the place Bar J, Susie Q, Flying W, Lazy, Lazy Y. They asked, well, where are all the cattle? He said, oh, none of them survived the branding. Well, hopefully all of you have survived the branding so far from the Word of God on faithfulness. Heard some comments from you. But we all want to learn to become faithful and learn what it is to be faithful, not have the wrong idea of what faithfulness is and endeavor to become it. Today we're going to look at a story that, that deals with this over in Matthew chapter 21. Last week, the main verse we looked at was in Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 6. In Proverbs chapter 20, verse 6. We looked at it a couple of translations. Uh, one of them was the message. I think I like that one the best. Lots of people claim to be loyal and loving, but where on earth can you find one? The Amplified said, Many a man proclaims his own loving kindness and goodness, but a faithful man who can find. Many people think that they are faithful, and most of us, if we polled ourselves, or people ask us on the street, Are you a faithful believer? Are you faithful to God? How many of us would say, Yep, I'm faithful. We've got to look at exactly what the Word of God calls to be faithful because I want to make sure that when I get up to heaven, He says, well done, good and faithful servant. So if I'm going to get that, then I've got to make sure that I do what He says is faithful, what He's going to make us to be faithful. How many of your kids think that they are faithful to the things that you ask them to do? How many of you agree with that? See, we all think that we're faithful. We all think we're doing, doing it right. Over in Proverbs 25, verse 14, Whoever falsely boasts of giving is like clouds and wind without rain. The New American Standard Bible puts it this way, Like clouds and wind without rain is a man who boasts of gifts falsely. The Message Bible says, Like billowing clouds that bring no rain is the person who talks big but never produces. Here's my favorite on this one, the New Century Version. People who brag about gifts they never give are like clouds and wind that give no rain. Well, it's good to know what it is that you have, but get out there and give it. Don't hoard up those, those things that you have. We went out and looked at a couple of stories last week about our view of ourselves, our view of others, and God's view. CDs are back there if you missed that one. But turn over to Matthew chapter 21, and verse 28. Matthew chapter 21, verse 28. But what do you think? A man had two sons, and he came to the first and said, Son, go work today in my vineyard. He answered and said, I will not. But afterward he regretted it and went. Then he came to the second and said, Likewise. And he answered and said, I'll, I'll go. But he did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? And they said to him, The first. Jesus said to them, As surely I say to you, the tax collectors and harlots enter the kingdom of God before you. So he had, this is a man who had two sons. And here we, we see that the father expressed his will. This is the will of the father. The will of the father was to do what? Go and work in the field. He wanted them to go work in the field. He may have wanted both to go in the fields, but we know he at least needed one of them to go work in the field. And he came to the first and he said, I won't go. So that probably prompted him to go on and talk to the second one. But he said to the first one, I won't go, but he regretted it. And then he went. So the first said, I will not, but did. I will not, but did. And the other one said, I will, but did not. So the first one here, this first son, he still served another master. Isn't that true? But he went out and he did what the, what the father wanted. He still served another master. How do you know that? Because when he was asked by the father... If he served the will of the Father, what would he have done? Yes, sir. And he would have done it. But instead, he served another. He said, no, sir, I won't go. But then he felt bad about it, and he went. So why did he go? Because he wanted to do the will of the Father? 
He went he went because he felt bad. How many times do we do things because we feel bad? You don't want to do something, but you go ahead and do it because somebody gave you a dirty look. Somebody gave you a disappointed glance. Somebody gave you that tone in their voice. All right, I'll do it. I don't want to do it, but I'll do it just, just to make peace, just to get things taken care of. He's still serving another master. He could be serving his own interest himself. He could be serving, uh, maybe it's money. I mean, does the father say, I'll pay you? Does he say, go and work in my fields and afterwards I'll give you a good wage? He doesn't say that. He just says, go work in the field. Maybe the wage was implied. I don't know. But the wage wasn't discussed. didn't seem to, to come up. And this son had other interests. And he wanted to go do them. But eventually he felt bad. And so he did it. The second, he said, I will. Uh, but then he, he didn't. So the father thought he could count the one son. But he couldn't. Because he just didn't do it. So this guy served another master too, didn't he? Because he says, I will. But then he didn't do it. If he served his, his true master... And he says, I will. He would have gone out there and done it, right? So he also served another master, but knowing it was wrong, he tried to cover it up. I'm amazed at how many people know that something they're doing is wrong, an attitude they have is wrong, but they try and cover it up. I bet you run into it too. How many of you have coworkers and they talk about how they're being cheated at work? They're not being paid enough. They're being overworked. All this sort of stuff. This is what they, they tell you all day long about this. And then the boss comes by and what do they do? Yes, sir. Can I do anything for you? Yes, sir. I'll get that done. They, they change the whole attitude. Why? Because they know it's a wrong attitude. They know they get in trouble for it, but I, I'm going to cover it up. If you really thought that, then you ought to stand up and tell them. You ought to get up there and, and, and let them know about that. I had that problem God slapped me across the face one time when I was at work, working for Kelchers, loading up the, the truck and stuff like that. We, had, we ran into some issues and some things were frustrating. How many of y'all know you look at things generally your own way? And you see it your own way and you get frustrated when it isn't that way. And, uh, you know, I, I would get frustrated because some things weren't done the way I needed them to be done, the way that was going to help me out, especially during the summer. In the summer, I would get in there, leave about 4 a.m. in the morning. And I didn't come back till Tuesday night. I came back Tuesday night, somewhere around 6, 7 o'clock at night, headed right into the office, didn't go home. Right into the office, unloaded all the money that I had, and then had to reload the truck for the next day because the next day I leave out at 4 a.m., so I had to load it that night. So I got to load all that stuff into the truck. And so they were trying to help me out, and they would get some people, and they would load the skids up for me so that at least some of the, the, the products I wouldn't have to go out there and do. And they wouldn't wrap them right or they weren't done right, or somehow they weren't done in a way that I could get them off, and I'd have to go in there and undo them and repack them and then rewrap them. And, you know, when you've already been working all day and 7 o'clock at night and you want to get home and at least see the family sometime before they, they go to bed, it gets frustrated. And I'd try and go over with them how it was that it had to be done, and that wasn't getting done. Then we go over to the other products that we would sell, and we wouldn't have this and we wouldn't have that. And you go in there and you have customers, and in the summertime they go through a lot of stuff, and you'd have to have it. And there'll always be something we're out of. Oh, we don't have this spice. Oh, how can you go down there and not, not do it? So I started to, to uh, overload some people. There were some accounts that I had that they that would let me overload them because they would rather not run out. And so I would overload some people. So they were my second warehouse. And if I was low on it, I didn't give it to them and gave it to somebody else who didn't let me do that and then tried to spread it all out. And I remember this is when God slapped me upside the head. I was in the truck and I was loading this thing up with one of the other drivers. And we were talking about this. I said, we got to stop running out of stuff. we got to see this stuff ahead of time. And, and you know, we could do this. You, we're talking about it. You and I, we see this stuff every day. We could figure this stuff out. But, you know, the owner, he wanted to, he wanted to order everything and he wanted to, to do all this sort of stuff. And, oh, it's just frustrating us to no end. And here we are talking about this and God hit me upside and said, what good does it do to talk about Him to each other? I said, yes, sir, you're right. I am wrong for that. And I was. I may have been right in what I was saying. I was wrong how I did it. So I didn't do that anymore. I uh, set an appointment, met with uh, my boss in his office. And I said, look, you're busy and we need these products. And I came up with a way for him to do it. And he came up with the problems that he saw. And we eventually worked out a solution and uh, took that out of his hands. And not only did we get 
success of taking that out of his hands, so he wasn't ordering the dry stuff around the, the plant, he began to trust the production manager, and the production manager was allowed to put his own orders in for all the stuff he needed, because he was running the same problem. He didn't have covers, he didn't have lids, he didn't have glasses, so he got to order them. And then eventually he began to trust us all so much that he, we didn't have to okay the orders with him. We just called the, to the factory directly and just put all the orders in that we needed and, uh, and got things to change. But that's a, that's a better way to handle it, isn't it? But I'll tell you what, I remember to this day, I remember being in that truck, in the back of that truck, talking with the other guy and right in the middle of the conversation getting slapped by God. When you get slapped by God, you remember. <laughs> I wasn't going to do that anymore. No more talking about the boss to the other employees. That didn't, wasn't going to produce anything. We're not going to change anything. And we're going about it wrong. Our attitudes were wrong in that. We had to change that. So all these two sons, the one who, who did not want to go out, but then did, and the other one who did not, or did say he would go out, and then did not go out, which one is faithful? The first son or the second son? Which one is faithful? Well, I wrote this in my outline. Neither. Neither of these sons are faithful. Don't look at one of these things and saying that they're faithful. This story is not about faithfulness. That's not his objective. You can see faithfulness in it, but it's not about it. He didn't say which one of these was faithful. He said which one of these did the will of the Father. You see, a faithful son would have said, yes, I will go, and showed up. That would have been a faithful son. We don't have that example here. He didn't give us an example of a faithful son. Very often we declare those more faithful as faithful. Isn't that right? If I see one as being more faithful, I'm ready to declare them as faithful. But just because one person is more faithful than another doesn't make them faithful. I put this in your outline too. I can accomplish God's will and still not be faithful. I can accomplish God's will and still not be faithful. Did the first son accomplish the will of the father? He sure did. Was he faithful? No. Because he told the father, no, I'm, I don't want to do that. I want to go do something else. He was not faithful. Now this is an important principle to understand, folks. This is real important because you can get into such guilt and condemnation if we get into some of these things about faithfulness and say, oh, well, it was me. I'll never be any good. God must hate me. Oh, I'm on my way to hell. Or whoever, whatever kind of thing you come up with in that. But understand this. I can accomplish God's will and still not be faithful. Look at what he goes on to say here. In verse 31. Which of the two did the will of the Father? So they did accomplish the will of the Father. And they said to him the first, Jesus said to them, Surely I say to you that tax collectors and harlots enter the kingdom of God before you. So here's his conclusion. These folks are going to enter the kingdom of God before you. So do the people who first say no, but then go ahead and do it, do they enter the kingdom of God? Let me read it for you again. Which of the two did the will of his father? They said to him the first. Jesus said to him, Surely I say to you, that tax collectors and harlots enter the kingdom of God before you. Jesus has two sons. He then talks about two groups of people. The, the tax collectors and the harlots and the religious leaders. Those are his two groups of people. Who do you think the two sons represent? Those two groups of people. He's not talking about anything else, is he? They represent those two groups of people. You could probably come up with a third and fourth group of people, but that's not what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about, first off, tax collectors and harlots. When the Father came and talked to them about getting into the kingdom, what did they say? No. Didn't they say no? They continued to be tax collectors and harlots. Now, I understand, in those days, tax collectors were uh, considered to be sinners because most tax collectors were on the take. They were stealing money. Yeah, same as today. Here you go. <laughs> Hasn't changed much, huh? <laughs> well, maybe you find some tax collectors out there today that, that aren't. But back then, they, it didn't seem to be that way. So you had the two groups. So the harlots are, the, the tax collectors and harlots are the group of people who said no, but because of guilt, 
decided to relent and accomplish the will of the Father and go into the field. So the Pharisees are those who said, I will, but then didn't go. Now, look at this next verse. I left this last verse off. Didn't read it before for a reason. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But tax collectors and harlots believed him, and when you saw it, you did not afterward relent and believe him. Now he's bringing in an aspect of the story that does exist, but he didn't talk about it in the story. And that is the brother who said, I will go and didn't, didn't feel motivated because the other son was in the field. Didn't feel like I ought to go in the field. There's that other, there's my brother. He went in the, I didn't, I didn't go. He did go. Maybe I should go. He doesn't even feel guilty then and go in. Now you think about the time when you were growing up and your mom or your dad asked you to do something and you didn't get it done. And your brother or sister jumped in and did it for you. And you went on down there and saw them doing it and says, well, I guess somebody had to do it. Have fun. What do you do? Didn't you usually, when you saw that, oh, I was supposed to do that. Let me finish it. Let me help. Didn't you feel some remorse, some kind of thing that, oh, dad, mom, they had to go get somebody else. Oh, I could be in trouble. Maybe I can soften it a little bit if I help out now. I mean, that's not the best motivation, but it is a motivation. But he says this. And when you saw it, you did not afterward relent and believe. You didn't even do that. It just got you madder. Now, here's an interesting thing. What is his context in teaching all this? Why does he get into this teaching to begin with? Well, if you go back, you don't have to go back very far. Well, we didn't finish out your, your spots here. Let me finish them out. As long as you do the will of God, you can enter the kingdom of God. Let that be just relaxing for you. As we get into things in faithfulness and you say, Oh, I'm not faithful. I'm not faithful. If I die today, I may not make it in. <laughs> Your faithfulness does not get you into the kingdom. It is doing the will of the Father. For whatever reason, apparently. Even if you did it just out of guilt. Even if you did it out of remorse. Well, I should have done it and I didn't. As long as you get in, you do the will of the Father. Apparently, you get in the kingdom. So as long as you do the will of God, you can enter the kingdom. So do the will of the Father. But those who are faithful obtain a higher place and reward. You can get in, but I'd rather get a higher place and reward. How about you? So I've got to learn the things from the Word of God that will get me into that higher place, higher reward. Alright, let's go back over here to verse 23. Chapter 21. Now when he came into the temple, this is starting a new thing. He's coming into the temple. The chief priests and the elders of the people confronted him as he was teaching and said, By what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? And Jesus answered and said to them, I also ask you one thing, which if you tell me, I likewise will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John. Where was it from? from heaven or from men. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say to us, Why then did you not believe him? Because John is the one who said Jesus was the one coming. But if we say from men, we fear the, the multitude, for all count John as a prophet. So they answered Jesus and said, We do not know. And Jesus said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. So he identified them first off because of that identity and they, they weren't going to answer he says well then I won't answer you if you won't answer my question why should I answer yours but notice this, this part here about the, the Pharisees we see this same attitude going on today exact same attitude what is the concern of the Pharisees Sadducees leaders of the people what is their concern when Jesus asks them the question is their concern to get it right is their concern what is the answer Boy, I really want to know, what is the true answer to this question? Are they concerned with the truth? No. They are concerned with how people see them, their own power and authority, 
whether it will rattle and shake them or not. And they reason among themselves. You can just see this happening, can't you? Jesus asks a question, they all get a little huddle, whispering. If we say from heaven, he will say to us, why then did you not believe him? So they could already figure out where Jesus is going in this thing. But if we say from men, we fear the multitude, for all count John as a prophet. So we're not really concerned about the truth. We are concerned with the image. We are concerned with preserving the thing that we believe, the thing that we go after, the thing that we serve. We see the same attitude today. It's one of the reasons why I despise the news media. The news media is not faithful to the truth. They are faithful to what? Whatever agenda, whatever thing is going on, whatever it is they want to promote, and they promote the stories about it. Back when the Iraq war was the big thing, every time they could dig up a bad story about Iraq, they brought it out. Did they bring up any good stories? And yet there were thousands of good stories. They would focus, whenever a bomb went off, things were good. They, remember, if you were here on Wednesday nights, I was talking about some of the stories they would bring out. When the bombings were, were, were stopping and the terrorists were you know, being killed off and new ones weren't being replaced. Because they never did. They gave you the count of how many people we lost. Did you ever hear from the news media how many people they killed? How many terrorists they wiped out? No, you never heard that, did you? You'd be staggered at the, at the number. They were, they were knocking off hundreds, sometimes thousands a day. Enemy people. Knocking them out. That's pretty tough to replace that. They were doing a good job. Building schools. Getting businesses to open. Having the confidence of the people. People would come out and feed the soldiers. But they wouldn't put that on the news because that wasn't good. So when they ran out of bad stories, what happened to the whole thing with Iraq? It's gone. What do you mean? What's going on? Nothing's happening over there. It's all gone. There's no reason to bolster that. The whole thing with global warming. Whenever they could find something that went up a degree or two degrees. Oh, it's all it's, it's getting warmer. It's getting warmer. And they'd focus on this area because ice is melting over here. They don't tell you about the other area where ice is increasing. They don't, they're not faithful to it. They're not faithful to present the truth. Now we got this stuff going on and the media is all over it. How many of you heard in the political stuff? They're talking about corporate taxes. One guy wants to raise them. One guy wants to lower them. Corporate taxes. And they'll do it in such a way that, yeah, we've got to tax these corporations. How many of you work for a corporation? What happens if they get more taxes? Less money for you, but beside that, there's something else that they don't tell you about. If you, and you can do this for yourself. You can go check this out on your own. Don't take my word for it. I can show you some articles. I have one from the Wall Street Journal that published this, but you can, I, there's a ton of more of them on there. Just go into Google and type this in. Highest corporate tax rate. What country do you think has the highest corporate tax rate? The United States. Now, it wasn't always that way. Back in 2000, I think Germany had that at 52%. They have been since bringing it down. They're now below ours. But right now, we have the highest corporate tax rate. What's going to happen if you raise that? If you are a corporation, and we're more in global markets than we are in local ones, would it be at all of interest to you to move your corporation out of a country that taxed you most into a country who taxed you least? So what happens to jobs then? So they're not, the, the news media knows this, but they're not promoting it because they have an agenda. You can go do your own research on it. Folks, if we raise the corporate tax rate of our companies much higher, we will have less corporates to tax. They will go away. And we've already seen a lot of them go away. And they've said, well, you know, when they go away, they don't come back. Well, why would you move back? Go through all the expense to move back to get taxed more? And that's not going over all the benefits and all the other things they have to wrestle with in this country that they don't have to do in others. Whether they should do it in others or not, that's, you can argue that, I guess, till the sun comes up, but that's why we're losing some of our businesses, why we're losing some of our stuff, losing some of our jobs. You've got to cut that down. You've got to bring that down. Taxes don't, don't encourage people to grow. So you've got to, you've got to be careful about this. So you get into all this, get out of what the news media tells you. Because they they're telling you what they have for an agenda. Yeah. Didn't you all like it what they did with the uh, hurricanes this year? We had a couple of uh, early ones. And so I would, wouldn't you just love this if you could change your prediction 
as the hurricane season is going on? Last year they changed it twice. This year they changed it once. And they upped it. I don't even think we got up to the first prediction. Because <laughs> they all just sort of stopped. Didn't get to that many of them. They have a agenda. They expose who it is they are. Jesus exposed these guys. Who is it that you serve? You want to ask these things? You want to stand there as an authority? So they questioned his authority. And in questioning their authority, that's where this story comes from. This is the authority of the, of the Father. We had the will of the Father, and this is the authority of the Father. Because where does Jesus get his authority from? We all know, we saw what we read all his teachings. He gets his authority from Father God. That's the Father God. So Jesus asked them a question and answering. They were more concerned about how they appear than they are about the truth. So what master did they serve? They didn't serve God. They weren't serving that master because they were serving God. God is the God of truth. His word is truth. He's the God of truth. They would be more concerned with the truth and to get it right than anything else. That wasn't their concern. So as they were wrestling with this part, they were questioning his authority. He says, what do you think? A man had two sons. So we're questioning about authority and then we move into this parable where we talk about doing the will of the Father. So the man, the, the, the man, the Father, he comes in and he gives a go work in the field. Go work in the field. And the one says, no. What do you think that son, does that son respect that father's authority? Apparently not. He says, no, no, he eventually went out there and did it, but does he respect his authority? No. The other son says, I will, but then he doesn't go. Does he respect that authority? No. So we're seeing a, res a lack of respect of authority, and that's where he gets into this. And so you see a problem that comes in because there's a lack of respect of authority. If you have a lack of respect of authority, you will have a difficult time being faithful. You've got to learn that respect for that authority. When you learn that respect for that authority, then you can go on being faithful. We've used the example before, but those folks that are in military know that when you go through boot camp, the purpose of boot camp is to get you to the place that you will do whatever the authority tells you, no matter how ridiculous it is. Because they understand that if you do not, if you are not willing to scrub the floor with a toothbrush, you may also question authority when you're out on the field. And they will beat that out of you. They will, that, is, that is not like any other job. They can abuse you and are more than happy to do so. They get those drill ser sergeants and they take pleasure in your pain, in your suffering. They like it. And they don't feel bad for you. If you show weakness, they jump at it all the more. Until you get to that spot and you say, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Because if you get out on the battlefield and the authority, the sergeant, the lieutenant, whoever it is, says, take that hill. I don't want to take that one. they got a big gun up there. Yours isn't the question. Yours is to go. And you had to get to that mentality. Now, that's a tough mentality. And some people don't get there. And they don't make it into armed forces. They will, they will make it out of boot camp and they will be gone. They won't let them in. They cannot break you of that. Then you will be gone. Now, you can say, well, maybe he's a, maybe he's a bad leader. Well, then the leader above him takes care of that. You can't sit there and question all those, all those things. So the authority came in and he's given this, do the will, do the will, but faithfulness wasn't there because there was no respect of authority. You have to respect authority. But notice this about the Father. Does the Father insist that he respect authority? Does he do it? No. Because the guy says, no, I won't go. And he goes on and talks to the other son. Does he get out there and give him a whipping? Exhort him? No. Not quite like the army there. They'll make you do push-ups or stand in the rain or carry buckets of water or all sorts of stuff. They're going to get that, get your brought around there. He's concerned with authority in that as long as you constantly question the authority, then you will have a hard time being faithful. 
you cannot get to that place where you constantly question authority. If God says, go here and do that. If God puts different folks in charge, then you go ahead and you do that. You have to make sure that you, you do that. It's, it's not your place to keep questioning all the authority. I learned this lesson. I was in a church working in there and the pastor and I didn't see eye to eye on all the doctrines. Now, it was not... I, this is how I, I learned it. It was not his job to tell me all the areas that he didn't agree with me. It was my job to find out all the areas I didn't agree with him. That was my job. It was not his job to educate me. So I listened to the things that he taught. There was one time I was teaching one thing and then I heard him teach a message that says, oh, he doesn't agree with that. Now, I don't have to change my belief because my belief was based on the Word of God. My belief was based on the study. But if I go out there and continue to teach it to the church that he's the pastor of, I'm wrong. Even if it is right. Even if he is wrong for, for believing that and for teaching it, if I go out and teach something contrary to it, I am wrong for doing it. Now, I can't do that. There are certain things that would go on in the church and I didn't like some of the things that would go I didn't agree with some of the things that go on. It wasn't my place. It wasn't my spot. Sometimes he'd call me up and he said, I need you to help me up with this. I didn't like the way it was done, but guess what? It's my job. I did it. I didn't get out there and say, you know, I don't agree with this. No, I don't like this. It wasn't my job. Now, we had a one time we had a meeting. We had a board meeting. We all came out of there. We had this issue. We were talking. We were going to bring it before the church. And we talked about this issue. We got a little heated in there. People had different opinions and things. And we finally came out. This is what we're going to agree on. This is what we're going to do. And we got on out there and we got into the spot. We were in front of the church. We were all the leaders were together. And we were all together for prayer and praying. And this one set of leaders decided to stand up and says, Sorry, we just can't go along with it. We're not going to stand up here and do this with you. We're just not going to go along with it. I got fire mad at them. And they saw the look in my eyes. They told me later on, we saw that look in your eyes and we could tell you were mad. I says, you bet I was. I got fire mad at them. I looked them in the eye and says, you don't dare get up here in the front now and disagree and bring this congregation to that kind of thing. That's rebellion. That's not faithful people. That's unfaithfulness being masked. You don't do it. Boy, I got, I still remember to this day. I remember exactly how I felt. I remember how angry I was that they would do this. You don't do it. I was put many a time that I had to be in front of the congregation and talk about things. I wasn't on the, on the same page, but it don't matter. Our place to disagree was in private. Our place to disagree was when we were having it up for discussion. Once the pastor said, all right, this is the way we're going to go. This is what we're going to do. That's the way we went. And that's what you got to do. Authority. I had to listen. He never beat me over the head. Never tied me to a chair. Never forced me to do anything. I understood I need to yield to that. If I'm going to be faithful, I need to yield to it. I needed to find out what is it that he wanted to do and get it done. That was my job. I didn't sit up there in the front, question them, call them. Don't think that's right. When he was preaching up there in the front, I didn't say, you know, the Bible doesn't say that. (laughs) That's not what you can do. That's wrong. I had to stay off of that. I'll tell you what, though, it rose up in me. But I knew better. Didn't do it. Then, of course, it was always fun that people came up to you afterwards. Did you agree with that thing the pastor was teaching? <laughs> what do you do then? I know that I don't agree with what he was teaching. I just ask him, why are you seeing something different? Well, yeah, I'm looking at this, 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 and this. He said, well, if you feel strongly enough about it, go talk to him about it. They would never know. When I came out of that conversation, they would never know whether I agreed or disagreed with that position. I made sure that they didn't. Because that's wrong. I'm not being faithful. See, a lot of times we think about authority and stuff. I have to always agree. You don't know how submitted you are to an authority until you disagree. That's when submission comes into play. It's not hard to submit to someone who agrees with you. It's hard to submit to someone who doesn't. What did the Word of God say we saw last time? Till you are faithful with what is another man's, another person's, he will put something in your hands. How will something become your own? You've got to learn what it is to be faithful with what God has put in the heart of someone else. And learn to be faithful with that. 
And then God can elevate you and put you into the spot. doesn't matter how many years you were faithful. The matter is how faithful were you in those years. So a lot of times we think, oh, I've been real faithful. I've been doing it. Mm. I've been going. Well, Jesus isn't done yet. He decides to go on with another parable. Verse 33. Here another parable. He hasn't changed subjects yet, has he? He was talking about the, the, the first question was the authority question. He then went on and talked about the will of the Father, doing the will of the Father. Aren't you glad that you can get into heaven even if you're not 100% faithful? Even if you're only 50% faithful? Aren't you glad you can get into heaven? I am. I know I am. I don't want to get up there and say, you didn't quite make the degree. You're 97. 97%. Didn't quite make 100. Sorry. Boy, am I glad. That isn't the way that it is. It'll affect your position. Here another parable. There was a certain landowner who planted a vineyard and set a hedge about it, dug a wine press in it, and built a tower. And he leased it to vine dressers and went into a far country. Who did all the work so far? The landowner. The landowner built the whole thing. Put it all together. Then he went and got some people to take care of it. Now when the vintage time drew near, he sent his servants to the vineyard, to the vine dressers, and they might receive its fruit. And the vine dressers took his servants, beat one, killed one, stoned another. Hmm. Are these folks serving the master of that vineyard? Absolutely not. That wasn't hard to figure out, was it? Again, he sent other servants, more than the first, and they did likewise to them. So he sent, I guess, sent three. So now he sent more, maybe ten. I don't know how many more he sent, but he sent more. Then last of all, he sent his son to them, saying, they will respect my son. But when the vine dressers saw the son, they said among themselves, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and seize his inheritance. How stupid can they be? You think that if you kill the son that you're going to get what is rightfully his? Come on. That's what they said. When the vine dressers saw the son, they already read that, verse 39, so they took him and cast him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those vine dressers? Well, you can hear it from your own... You're listening to the story. You're getting mad at these guys, aren't you? You want to see something happen. You ever watch one of those movies? And they've had the bad guys in there and they build up those bad guys and you got the good guy and he's trying to get the bad guy. How many of you are in there cheering? Get him! Get him! Kill him! Get him out of there! <laughs> I mean, you can get really... Some of, these, some of these stories can really bring you in. Sometimes you just want... Just arrest them. Just get that guy. Put him in jail. Right? I mean, some of them, that's all you want to do. But I, some of these guys, they are so wicked. They are so evil. Just killing people and torturing people and doing nasty stuff. And you think, oh, I am so mad at this guy. So mad at him. Get him. Get him good. It's like watching 24. You're over there cheering on Jack. Get him, Jack. They said to him, he will destroy those wicked men miserably. See, they're already, they're into this. He'll destroy them miserably. And lease his vineyard to another vine dressers who will render to him the fruits of their season. And Jesus had said to them, Have you never read the scriptures? The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing. And it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore I say to you, the kingdom of heaven will be taken from you and given to a nation hearing the fruits of it. Or bearing the fruits of it. And whoever falls on this stone will be broken. But on Whomever it falls, it will grind him to powder. Now when the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parables, they perceived that he was speaking of them. But when they sought to lay hands on them, they feared the multitudes because they took him for a prophet. Now I don't know if he's just being a little sarcastic here or if these guys are really this dense. But verse 45, Now when the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parables, they perceived that he was speaking of them. Hmm. Verse 43. Therefore I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken from... The kingdom of God will be taken from... You! And given to a nation bearing the fruit of it. I don't know how they could have missed that. I don't know why you need perception. He told you. I'm talking about you. These were people that were not rendering to God what he expected. That he expected certain fruit, certain renderings from the vineyard. And it wasn't coming. 
It's just like the parable of the talents. There's a whole lot of similarities there. What was the master's was given into the hand of others. And he expected a return on what he put into their hand. He expected a return on it. And these folks weren't being faithful. They were getting a return, but they weren't yielding it. The guy in the area of the talents, those who got a return brought it, and those other ones uh, just didn't do anything with it and got no return. But can you see some of the similarities that are there? So here we have the harvest of the Father. He wants a harvest. He wants something to come from it. He wants a harvest from you. He's put things in you, and He wants to receive something from it. See, these, these guys are masking their intentions. It says that they wanted to kill Him. They were so mad because He made this thing about, about them. They wanted to kill Him. But they were afraid of the multitude. So they knew what they were doing was wrong. They knew it wasn't right. So they tried to mask it. How many times do we know we have a wrong attitude, a wrong thing, and we try and mask it? Oh, sure you do. How many of you have talked about somebody? You know you shouldn't talk about them, but you're there talking about them, talking to another believer. And then somebody comes close to where you're talking, and you're not sure if you can trust them to keep it quiet. What do you do? Clam up. Don't say anything. Just cut the whole conversation and go right on to something else. Why do you do that? Because you know what you did was wrong. You know it wasn't right. But you are not faithful to God's will. You are faithful to something else. You were, you're serving another master. you got another master to serve. See, sometimes we, it's not always money. Sometimes it can be money. But sometimes, sometimes it can be fame, recognition, something of myself. Somehow I'm serving myself in this. You cannot serve yourself. You must get to the place that, you, just as Jesus said, you die to self. i got to die to self. I gotta be ready to yield it all up. But no, I've gotta, I, I have greater revelation than that person does. I have to stand up and tell them. Just like with that pastor. I have greater revelation on that area. I ought to stand up and he ought to yield to me and, no! <laughs> You're not supposed to yield to me into things. Doesn't even matter if I'm right or not. You don't do it. You have faithfulness that is there. You gotta be faithful. You're faithful to the master, to God. And anything that he puts in authority, anyone that is under God, anyone that has authority from God, what do you do with it? I yield to it. I submit to it. When I fight against it, am I faithful? No. I've taken away my faithfulness. John. John the Baptist. Jesus says, if you can become less than him, you become greater than anyone in the kingdom. But he first said of John, John is the greatest in the kingdom. But he said, if you can become less than him, you can become greater. How does he make that statement? Well, put yourself in John's position. John had a flourishing ministry. John had disciples. John's ministry was doing great. He started before Jesus did. And then Jesus comes on the scene. He recognizes Jesus. He said, behold, the Lamb of God takes away the sin of the world. And with that, what happened to some of his disciples? Oh, well, this is the Lamb and you're just a prophet. I'm going to go follow the Lamb. And so some of his disciples left following John and went on to follow Jesus. Went on. And some of the crowds that were coming out to John's meetings are now going over to Jesus' meetings. And so John's getting less and less crowds and less and less disciples and Jesus is getting more and more disciples and more and more crowds. So if you're John, you had a great roaring ministry going on. Things were looking good. You were the guy in the country. Everybody was talking about you. Everybody knew you. The king even knew about you. What do you? And then you had to go this way. What would you want to do? Uh, God, I still need a ministry. But John says, he must increase. Yeah, he's re- that's why Jesus talks about him so much. He's ready to step aside. He's ready to step aside a thriving ministry. Why? Because the master said so. Because this is what I was here. I was here to pave the way for this one. Now I have to, go, I have to step out of the way because he's the one that needs to be the focus. 
that it's a hard thing to do. How many of us could submit to that? It'd be tough, wouldn't it? Well, we put this at the end of your outline here. If you don't always go willingly, deal with it before it keeps you out of something important. If you don't always go willingly, deal with it before it keeps you out of something important. How many of you can identify times that you were like that first son? You said, nope, and then went. You didn't. You went, but you didn't go willingly. You didn't go right away. Deal with it now before it becomes something problem. Keeps you out of something really important. My attitude toward those in authority. My attitude toward those in authority demonstrates to all the master that I serve. How do you speak about other preachers and teachers in the body of Christ? How do you speak about other folks that are prophets in the body of Christ? What's your conversation about with them? You're always questioning them? Are you always questioning what they do? My attitude toward those in authority demonstrates to all the master that I serve. If you truly want to say, I am a servant of the master of God. He is my master. He is the one that I serve. Then you will not speak ill of his servants. You not rebel against his servants. How did God handle rebellion in the Bible? He didn't like that a whole lot, did he? You won't fall into those those kind of areas. Let me read you a story. It's entitled, The People with the Roses. John Blanchard stood up from the bench, straightened his army uniform, and studied the crowd of people making their way through Grand Central Station. He looked for the girl whose heart he knew, but whose face he didn't. The girl with the rose. His interest in her had begun 13 months before in a Florida library. Taking a book off the shelf, he found himself intrigued, not with the words of the book, but with the notes penciled in the margins. The soft handwriting reflected a thoughtful soul and insightful mind. In front of the book, he discovered the previous owner's name, Miss Hollis Maynell. With time and effort, he located her address. She lived in New York City. He wrote her a letter introducing himself and inviting her to correspond. The next day, he was shipped overseas for service in World War II. During the next year and one month, the two grew to know each other through the mail. Each letter was a seed falling on a fertile heart. A romance was budding. Blanchard requested a photograph, but she refused. She felt that if he really cared, it wouldn't matter what she looked like. When the day finally came for him to return from Europe, they scheduled their first meeting at 7 p.m. at the Grand Central Station in New York City. You'll recognize me, she wrote, by the red rose I'll be wearing on my lapel. I'll let Mr. Blanchard tell you what happened. And here in his words, a young woman was coming toward me, her figure long and slim, her blonde hair lay back in curls from her delicate ears. Her eyes were blue as flowers. Her lips and chin had a gentle firmness and in her pale green suit, she was like springtime come alive. I started toward her, entirely forgetting to notice that she was not wearing a rose. As I moved, a small, provocative smile curved her lips. Going my way, sailor, she murmured. Almost uncontrollably, I made one step closer to her. And then I saw Hollis Maynell. She was standing almost directly behind the girl. A woman well past 40. She had grayed hair tucked under a worn hat. She was more than plump. Her thick ankles, thick ankled feet thrust into low-heeled shoes. The girl in the green suit was walking away quickly. I felt as though I was split in two. So keen was my desire to follow her, and yet so deep was my longing for the woman whose spirit had truly championed me and upheld my own. And there she stood. Her pale, plump face was gentle and sensible. Her gray eyes had a warm and kindly twinkle. I did not hesitate. My finger gripped the small, worn, blue leather copy of the book that was to identify me to her. This would not be love, but it would be something precious, something perhaps even better than love, a friendship for which I had been and must ever be grateful. I squared my shoulders and saluted and held the book out to the woman. Even though while I spoke, 
I felt choked by the bitterness of my disappointment. I'm Lieutenant John Blanchard, and you must be Miss Maynell. I am so glad you, you could meet with me. May I take you to dinner? The woman's face broadened into a tolerant smile. I don't know what this is all about, son, she answered, but the young lady in the green suit who just went by, she begged me to wear this rose on my coat. And she said, if you were to ask me out to dinner, I should go and tell you that she is waiting for you in the big restaurant across the street. She said it has some kind, she said it was some kind of test. It's not difficult to understand and admire Miss Maynell's wisdom. The true nature of a person's heart is seen in its response to the unattractive. Our response to what seems to be unattractive will tell us who our master is. It's not always real attractive to be faithful. It's not always real attractive to be loyal when you feel you are right and the other is wrong. It is so much easier to stand up and voice our own opinion. Voice where the problems are. Voice where this is wrong and that is wrong. But God is looking for faithful people. People who will submit to Him. Submit to His authority. Submit to His will. And bring His harvest. Let's all be part of the harvest brigade. Take the gifts that you have and learn how to be faithful with them. Learn what God is looking for. Don't just be content to do His will. Do His will. Look forward to it. Be excited. I get to do the will of the Father. My Father God has called me into service. I am ready to go. If you were John, which way would you have gone? But you're you. When you're faced with a choice, which way will you go? Father, we thank you that our life presents us with choices. You are forever observing up there. Not in an attitude of judgment. Not in a way that says, oh, I just want to get you when you're bad. But you long for those to be faithful. We all think that we're faithful. We all want to be faithful. We all certainly feel that's our endeavor. But we want to be faithful by the standards that you have. For we can't be faithful to you as long as we hold to our standards. We have to hold to yours. So help us to learn from your word what they are and to pursue them. To be relaxed and know we can get into your kingdom just by doing your will. But we don't want to just get into your kingdom. We want to soar in that kingdom. We want to be faithfully doing your will faithful to your will faithful to bring you the harvest thank you for it give you the glory for it all